Welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 715 of WaveScan for release on Sunday, November 6, 2022. Time change day in North America. On the program today, VOA Voyager, three mobile VOA stations in the United States. We'll hear about unusual loudspeakers and our Japan DX report. On three separate occasions, VOA, the Voice of America, has commissioned a mobile radio station for use within the United States. On each occasion, the intent was to obtain information and recordings about lifestyle and events throughout the nation for inclusion in their worldwide English and foreign language programming, as Ray Robinson tells us. Thanks, Jeff. The first of these three mobile radio stations was constructed and fitted out with radio equipment by RCA, the Radio Corporation of America, in 1951. This vehicle was identified as Mobile Unit Number 1, and it was intended to serve as a roving microphone throughout the nation. The basic vehicle was a truck chassis with a specially constructed van designed by VOA engineers. A large sign on the side of the van identified the Voice of America, and a smaller sign indicated the International Broadcasting Division of the American Department of State. The completed vehicle was described as a streamlined radio studio on wheels, and it contained a complete radio studio, control room, recording equipment, and an intercommunication system. In addition, there was also a low-power shortwave transmitter for the transfer of audio programming direct to the VOA studios in Washington, D.C. On May 8, 1952, RCA delivered the new mobile radio station to the Voice of America in a special ceremony at Rockefeller Plaza in New York City. Fluttering above and surrounding the ceremony was a concourse of full-colour flags, representing the almost 200 countries of the United Nations. However, when in use, the new VOA mobile radio station encountered mechanical problems and even after expensive modification, it was deemed unroadworthy. It was taken out for its intended usage only a couple of times. Thirty years later, a second and somewhat more successful attempt was made in the construction and usage of a VOA mobile radio studio. Construction began in 1984 for what became known as the VOA Voyager. It was a fully equipped radio studio in an Airstream motorhome, 27 feet long. The shiny new vehicle was coloured in red, white and blue signage, with a map of the world on one side. The Voice of America took delivery of that new mobile radio studio, number 2, in a brief ceremony in Washington, D.C. on Friday, January 18, 1985. Aboard this station, in addition to the extensive radio equipment, was a small kitchen and a small bathroom. However, it was necessary for the staff generally to use public accommodation in motels and to eat in local restaurants. 
Each rotatable crew consisted of two programming personnel and a driver who was also a competent audio engineer. In addition, there was an accompanying car with additional personnel as needed. Locally recorded programming was transferred to the VOA studios in Washington, D.C. via normal telephone circuits. Their first tour of five weeks in early 1985 took them to Nashville, Tennessee for participation in the annual Country Music Festival, and then onward into Mississippi. Over a period of time, and with continually rotating crew members, ultimately every mainland state was visited. Live and recorded broadcasts in ultimately 40 different languages covered a multitude of different facets of life, activity and events throughout the United States. The popular VOA Voyager was in widespread usage for almost two years. However, in 1987, mechanical problems and budget cuts brought an end to the usefulness of the Voyager van. The third VOA mobile radio studio was a smaller vehicle with a simpler design. It was known as Voyager 2, and because of its smaller size, it was also known as Son of Voyager. That was back in 1990. However, because of budget cuts again, VOA Mobile Unit No. 3 was sold to the United Nations during the following year, 1991, and shipped to Africa, where it served in Botswana. Now, changing the topic, our Editor-in-Chief Adrian Peterson has found some more information about unusual loudspeakers. Back nearly 100 years ago, radio was young, and during those formative years of radio broadcasting before World War II, many interesting and sometimes strange experiments were conducted. In the 1920s and 1930s, many experiments were made regarding the transmission of sound from loudspeakers. For example, in April 1927, we read this news report. A mile above the earth, a singer entertained a crowd in Times Square, New York, a few days ago. The loudspeaker that carried his voice downwards operates on the 1,000-watt output of a group of power tubes. Then in September of the same year, 1927, a giant loudspeaker was set up in the Yacht Club building in Chicago, on the shore of Lake Michigan, and music and speech were sent out to ships on the lake. That loudspeaker was so large that an elementary schoolgirl could sit comfortably in the mouth of the speaker horn. Speech and music was heard quite distinctly by personnel on the yacht Perry K-2 as it moved around the lake, even up to a distance of six miles. In order to double-check the performance of the huge loudspeaker, the procedure was reversed, with the equipment installed on the yacht and the listeners on shore. It was reported that the quality of music and speech in both experimental directions was superb. Medium-wave radio station WMAF was set up in the ostentatious home of self-styled Colonel Ned Green at Round Hills overlooking Buzzard Bay in South Dartmouth, Massachusetts in the summer of 1923. Ultimately, two transmitters, two stations, were set up in the same location, with two 143-foot-tall towers underneath the antenna system. The 500-watt Western Electric transmitter was granted the random callsign WMAF, and the 100-watt transmitter was identified as WSAQ. Both transmitters were capable of radiating on the same standard entertainment channel as it was in those days, 360 metres, or 833 kHz. Colonel Green also operated his radio equipment experimentally under another callsign, 1XV. 
Interestingly, the Round Hill stations were on the air only during the non-summer months, simply because Colonel Green found it financially convenient to be somewhere else, out of state, at that time of the year. Programming for WMAF was sometimes prepared locally, and the station also took relays from other medium-wave stations, such as WEAF, WGBS, later WINS, and WOR in New York. During the summer, when WMAF was off the air, another nearby station, WJAR, later WHJJ in Providence, Rhode Island, took over the program relays from New York. At the end of its history in 1928, station WMAF was operating on 680 kHz with a power of 1,000 watts. Colonel Green also set up a radio receiver, an amplifier and a bevy of huge loudspeakers beneath the overhanging awning that completely surrounded the water tower on his property. This building also served as a lighthouse for the benefit of passing ships. The Colonel invited anyone and everyone to drive up to his property and listen to the programming from his radio broadcasting station. The sound from the massive speaker system was so loud that people six miles distant complained of the noise and the volume had to be reduced. In June 1958, a giant loudspeaker was set up at an audio fair in Japan. That giant behemoth stood 20 feet tall and a whisper from it could be heard clearly one mile away. And then in June 1967, Taiwan set up a massive loudspeaker system that was capable of sending its programming across the straits to mainland China. They built a concrete block 30 feet tall with 48 large holes in the front face. A total of 48 huge loudspeakers were inserted into the open holes and the sound signal could be heard 15 miles distant and that system was actually reactivated for a music concert as recently as 2018. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you, Ray Robinson, at KVOH in Los Angeles. A report in NK News on October 26th says that South Korea has not resumed loudspeaker broadcasts at the inter-Korean border, as North Korea claimed earlier that week. Both Koreas agreed to stop loudspeaker operations in April 2018, amid a period of detente. Each side used to have around 40 loudspeakers at the inter-Korean border, and South Korean speakers blasted diverse content, including sports scores, international news, recommendations that North Koreans quit smoking, and even K-pop songs along the demilitarized zone. You may remember that we told you earlier this year that the 2022 edition of the World Radio TV Handbook would be the last one ever after 76 years of publication. Well, now we have news that the rights to the book's publication have been sold to a German company called Radio Data Center. RDC says that the 2023 edition of the World Radio TV Handbook will be published in December 2022 in both a printed and a digital version. After more than seven decades as a printed book, the WRTH will now also be available as a web app. The directory is an indispensable reference for interested radio listeners, avid DXers, and all those who move professionally in the world of radio, said Gunter Lawrence, 
founder and CEO of Radio Data Center. Further information can be obtained online at www.wrth.org. In Florida, WRMI has returned the last two of its frequencies to the air that were knocked off by Hurricane Ian at the end of September. The last two to be resumed were 7570 and 7780 kHz. The hurricane severely damaged three of WRMI's antennas directed to Europe, Africa, and Central America. Repair work on those antennas may take many months or longer. But those frequencies are back on the air now using other antennas. Now let's go over to Yukiko Tsuji in Tokyo with our Japan DX report. Hello and welcome to the DX report of the month from Japan Shortwave Club, aided by Toshi Otake and I'm Yukiko Tsuji. We have several DX reports from our club members this week. Radio Taiwan International was heard on 15530 kHz on October 10th from the sign-on at 0200 to the sign-off at 0258 UTC in English. SIO rating was 353, then up to 454. Special live program about National Day Ceremony in Taipei was on the air. Radio Banuatu was heard on 3945 kHz on October 10th from 0844 to 0905 UTC in Bislama. SIO rating was 252. Talk program by a male announcer was aired until 0851, then local pop music was played. ID was given at 0901, followed by news. Radio 4KZ from Queensland, Australia, was heard on 5055 kHz on October 2nd, from 0950 to 1010 UTC in English. SIO rating was 252. Music medley was broadcast until 0959, then ID and news by a female announcer followed after that. Ibra Media via Tashkent, Uzbekistan, was received on 15510 kHz on October 8th from 15.05 to the sign-off at 15.31 UTC in Bengali. SIO rating was 353. Talk and hymn programs were on the air. ID was given at 15.22. Bible Voice Broadcasting via Tashkent, Uzbekistan was heard on 11590 kHz on October 4th from the sign-on at 1300 to 1315 UTC in English. SIO rating was 353. Living the Bible was aired. BBC World Service via Davaya, UAE, was heard on 15530 kHz on October 9th from 0535 to the sign-off at 0600 UTC in English. SIO rating was 353. Talk program was broadcast. ID was given at 0559. Radio Romania International was received on 13610 kHz on October 7th from 1345 to the sign-off at 1356 UTC in Russian. SIO rating was 353. Talk program and Romanian song were on the air. ID was given at 1354. Radio France International was heard on 
15455 kilohertz on October 2nd from 0805 to the sign off at 0900 UTC. SIO rating was 353. Talk program and local song in Mandikan were aired, followed by the program in Fulani at 0830. Both languages are the dialects in West Africa. Radio Davanga via Isodon, France, was heard on 15550 kHz on October 4th, from the sign on at 1557 to the sign off at 1659 UTC in Arabic. SIO rating was 444. The station frequently announced as Radio Davanga. Talk program by a male announcer was on the air. World Christian Broadcasting via Madagascar was heard on 9765 kHz on October 6 from 2129 to the sign off at 2158 UTC in Portuguese. SIO rating was 353. Religious talk and the chorus were broadcast. Ideas given at 2155. Finally, Japan Shortwave Club will issue the QSL card for the correct reports on our segment of WaveScan program. We are issuing QSL card by email to the report sent by email. Our address for your email report is jswcqsl.live.jp. I repeat, jswcqsl.live.jp. We continue to issue the printed QSL card by the same system as before. Your report should be addressed to JSWC PO Box. 44, Kamakura, which is K-A-M-A-K-U-R-A, postal code 248-8691, Japan. One ILC or two U.S. dollars for return postage will be appreciated. For this edition of DX Report, we'd like to thank Mr. Yoshiaki Hayashi, Mr. Iwao Nagatani, Mr. Kodo Sujaku, and Mr. Kazuaki Oikawa for sharing the information with us. Thank you for listening and please join us for our next edition of DX Report of Japan Shortwave Club. In the next edition of our program to be aired in the week after the first Sunday in December, we will broadcast our special program commemorating our 70th anniversary in addition to our regular DX Report. We will issue the special QSO card. Please tune in. I'm Yukiko Tsuji in Tokyo. Thank you, Yukiko. I want to mention a reception report from Bill Harms in Walworth, New York, in the U.S., who said, Last night we experienced a power outage, so I decided to listen to your station, WRMI, on my C-Crane Skywave portable radio with a whip antenna. I happened to pick up the AWR WaveScan show. I'd like to share my experience by sending you a reception report. I always enjoyed listening to WaveScan, and tonight was no exception. Tonight, I appreciated learning more about the NASB conference at Radio Free Asia. You broadcasters seem to be a tight knit group, and I believe that will contribute to a positive future of shortwave radio. Also, I found the segment on AIR Kersong to be very informative. Well, Bill picked us up on 5950 kilohertz at midnight UTC with a SINPO rating of 5544. A few months ago in July, the National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters, NESB, held its annual meeting at the headquarters of Radio Free Asia in Washington, D.C. Today we're going to play the opening of that meeting.
for you here on WaveScan. Here's A.J. Yanachek of RFA. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Radio Free Asia and NASB 2022. Now, I know you're all talking, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but uh, the president of RFA should be up here at about 12.05. But some important uh, announcements for everybody before we begin. Each and every one of you gets an RFA bag, and inside of that bag is our B-22 schedule. There is also our current QSL card. And is it Fessenden that's the radio pioneer on that card? Ongtu? Okay. See, you know. Uh, there's also our 2020 Olympic pin in there. So that's for you to take home and uh, do as you please with. There's also a credit card-sized uh, monitor cleaner. So we're going to do this morning the introduction of RFA's president, uh, who will have some opening comments. Then we have uh, representatives from four out of our nine services in the back corner. And they'll come up and give a, a brief overview of their services and how shortwave uh, helps them or discuss something else, too, I suppose. So after about five minutes, then they'll open it up for any questions that you have. And after we go through the four of them, both Angtu and Brian, who's in the back someplace, uh, we'll take those that want on a, a brief tour of our facilities. You'll see our master control. You'll see how we've incorporated video into our standard audio studio. So we do, in essence, uh, simulcasts, streaming. And uh, Angtu and Brian are probably the best guys at RFA to answer any questions you might have. We did have a question about uh, can we take pictures? And the answer is yes, you can take pictures of master control of our studios. But I do ask that if you take any pictures of any staff, that you ask them first. You know, our, our broadcasters are sometimes working in, very hard, uh, in a very hard situation, trying to keep the safety of their family at home in Asia safe, and, and also con to continue doing their own job. So uh, I don't think I need to say any more about that. But uh, the last time NASB was here was 2015. Uh, some very familiar faces. And um, I think many of you probably know quite a bit about RFA already. We'd like to welcome our friends from Belgium, from France, and from the United States. Um, Ang Tu, who is um, my right-hand guy, and I rely on him immensely, is formerly a, a Burmese broadcaster with RFA. So... Uh, he, he's been around. Bay, thanks, thanks for coming. Um, if we're recording, then uh, let's open up the NASB 2022. Welcome to everybody. Um, just for a brief bio of our president. As President Bay Fang provides RFA with leadership, vision, and mission-based strategic and operational direction. She first came to RFA as Managing Director for East Asia overseeing the management and editorial content of RFA's five East Asian language services. She went on to become RFA's executive editor, supervising coverage across all of Asia. Now, she began her 20-year career in journalism as the Beijing bureau chief for the U.S. News and World Report, where she won the Robert F. Kennedy Journalism Award for her story, China's Stolen Wives. She went on to cover the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq for U.S. News, and then became the diplomatic correspondent for the Chicago Tribune. Before coming to Radio Free Asia, she also served as a Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, overseeing public diplomacy and public affairs for Europe and Eurasia. Bei Fang earned her undergraduate degree at Harvard University and was a visiting fellow at Oxford University and a Fulbright Scholar in Hong Kong. She's a trained French chef at Le Cordon Bleu in Paris, 
No, she's not making dinner. And also holds a brown belt in Kung Fu. Ladies and gentlemen, the president of RFA, Beifeng. Thank you so much, AJ. And, uh, and everyone, welcome to RFA. It's really a pleasure to have you all here with us. We're uh, huge fans of the National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters, and it's really an honor to be hosting you here this year. Um, shortwave radio has played an integral role for RFA from our very beginning. It was almost exactly 25 years ago that RFA's very first broadcast was heard by listeners in China via shortwave. Today, eight of our nine language services still use the medium as a way for audiences to connect with RFA's incisive brand of journalism. Shortwave is especially important for reaching audiences in some of the world's most closed media environments like North Korea. And in places like Myanmar today, where huge swaths of the population are displaced amid a, amidst a crisis, shortwave continues to be a critical means to access our content. There is no doubt that since 1996, when RFA was launched, that the world has changed tremendously. Back then, the internet barely existed as we know and use it now. Facebook and social media were not around, nor were smartphones. We've grown up and changed as the world has around us. We utilize and invest in new formats and technologies to reach our audiences. But despite these advancements, we still find that we need shortwave. In Myanmar, which I just mentioned, the, the military junta has imposed severe internet blackouts, power outages, and telecom restrictions. Mobile data rates there, by design, are unaffordable to most citizens. Shortwave helps us close that gap so the people of Myanmar can stay informed. In Cambodia, when RFA was forced to close our bureau there amid a government crackdown back in 2017, we also lost access to more than a dozen FM affiliates, which was a major way that we reached people. There too, shortwave became an important avenue, especially in rural and remote areas, for audiences to get RFA's updates and reports. No matter what, RFA will continue to adapt and evolve to meet the challenges of the 21st century. But we also know that shortwave remains indispensable to our work and our audience's ability to access uncensored domestic news and information, especially during crises where our, uh, those things are needed the most. So I'll now turn it back over to AJ to introduce representatives from our language services who can share more about their vital work in our broadcast region and markets. Thank you so much, and again, welcome. And that was Bei Fang, president of Radio Free Asia, opening the NASB 2022 annual meeting in Washington. And we end today's wave scan with folk music from Korea, from the Sounds of Korea program on KBS World Radio. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, a whale stranding on King Island in Tasmania and the local radio scene. Also our Philippine DX report, among other things, on WaveScan next week. 
WaveScan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, KVOH in Los Angeles, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone.